Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Good business is when agreements get kept and bad business is when they don't. It's actually really, really simple. The belief or the self-image that you are already a very highly competent person, however true that may be, will not serve you. Competence comes from where you look at your incompetence. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. This episode is from a recent member webcast. What is the essence of business? Understanding that business is fundamentally made up of agreements is critical to success in anything. Most business problems can be reduced to where agreements were unclear and or broken. Therefore, the clarification of agreements and the rigorous pursuit of keeping them is the simplest way to greatness. Simple is not, however, necessarily easy. But when you understand just how important it is, it gets easier. For more information about the many benefits of clear and open membership and how to get the help you need in conversations like this, please go to clearandopen.com. Now let's dive in. Where to begin? The place to begin is always, as always, in, in context. What business is itself? What actually is business in its most essential treatment? And the answer I offer for that, there's lots of different ways of talking about it, but the answer I offer for this is that business is fundamentally an agreement. It's an agreement. If I sell you a pair of glasses, a pair of reading glasses. They're pretty good too. I'll give you these glasses if you give me a dollar. That's an agreement, right? You give me the dollar, I give you the glasses. That's the agreement. That's business. So when we conduct business of any kind, there's an agreement. It's a mutual exchange of value for value. I don't want these glasses. I'd rather have a dollar. You don't want the dollar. You'd rather have the glasses. We're agreed on that. That's what makes a sound business transaction. Right? And you, I could create a whole business selling glasses. Right? And I would be doing that maybe hundreds of thousands of times a day. But the agreement comes down to one basic thing. But that's just the meta agreement. What follows that are a bunch of smaller agreements that are like sub-agreements. Right? So let's say you want to buy these glasses from me and I'm in Hawaii and I don't believe any of you are. So I'm going to have to ship them to you. Right? So you'll say, well, I'll wire you the dollar and pay a $20 wire fee for it. But I'll wire you the dollar. And uh, when do you agree to ship the glasses? And I say, well, I'll, you know, I'll get to it as soon as I can. Not very good business probably, right? Versus saying, oh, I'll ship them you know, next day air today, then that becomes the agreement. Okay. So the initial agreement is the price of the glasses and to make the exchange. And then the sub-agreement, how are you going to get me the money? How are you going to get me the glasses? 
Can you guarantee the condition of the glasses? What if I don't like them? Can I return them? What if the wire doesn't go through? You see, there's all these other agreements that come after that. Can I get a discount if I buy a second pair? What if my wife hates them and I like them? What do I do then? There's all these other agreements that come. And you can relate to this in your own job, in your own company. You can look around. You can see that there are agreements everywhere. Everywhere. Everything that's happening has to do with agreements. So business is fundamentally made up of agreements. And actually, you can go bigger than that. You can look at anything in life and see it as a bunch of agreements. If I started talking about my favorite Christmas cookie recipe today, and I talked about it for a half an hour, you'd probably not be so happy about it. You might be amused for about 90 seconds, but you wouldn't be happy about it. Why? Because that's not the agreement of what this is about, you see? That's not the agreement. So you can look at anything and everything through the lens of what was the agreement. And if you look at conflict between people, whether business or personal or anything, you can often reduce that back down to where the agreements were often unclear and then broken. Because usually the unclear agreements are the ones that get broken the fastest. So that's the context for all of this. The business is fundamentally about making and keeping agreements. And good business is when agreements get kept and bad business is when they don't. It's actually really, really simple. I had a great experience going to, uh, I broke my sunglasses, which is a terrifying thing to happen in Maui. They're Maui gyms. So I knew they'd be able to fix them for not a whole lot of money. But the idea of having to ship them somewhere terrified me because I have no backup sunglasses. But I was able to drive to Maui Gym headquarters, which was just like 40 minutes away. And they told me it would take about 15 or 20 minutes for them to be fixed. Cool. I sit down, begin randomly meditating on a bench in the foyer. And they're done in five minutes. And I was delighted. Because not only did they keep the agreement, but they exceeded the agreement. And of course... Most of us secretly probably know. They know it almost never takes 15 or 20 minutes, right? They just tell you that so that you're delighted every time it doesn't. Now, this is a very, very simple thing. But we experience this all the time, right? How many times are you on the phone with Bank of America or Wells Fargo or some insurance company? The recording says or a person says, can you please just hold a minute? And then five minutes later, you're off hold. Now, that was a really simple, basic opportunity to keep an agreement. All they had to do was, can you hold for five minutes and then keep you on hold for four? And you'd be delighted. Wow, thank God I wasn't on hold for five minutes. That wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. But that's not what happens. And on the same subject, have you noticed that somewhere in like the last five or 10 years when a plane is delayed, they don't even apologize for it anymore? You know, you're sitting at the gate and they just tell you that the plane's delayed 20 minutes. There's no expression of empathy or remorse or we're sorry about that. At least the, the airlines I've been flying in the last few years. Somewhere along the line, like they, they stop taking responsibility for that. It's really quite upsetting. So anyway, that's all the context or some of the context. Another piece of context to help you take in, because these when you hear these things, they're going to be, you're going to hear them as being very simple. But simple is different than easy. Some of you heard me do the talk on the five stages of engagement a few weeks ago. If you haven't heard that, I encourage you to listen to the recording. Crisis, survival, security, thrival, and flow. 
crisis, survival, security, thrival, and flow. And I'm, I'm not going to go into them at the moment, but the, the idea is these speak to a level of engagement and a level of competence that anyone can bring to any situation. And the principles I'm going to talk about today are probably the three most key principles for moving from anywhere in the bottom three stages to thrival. They don't apply so much for moving from thrival to flow, but most of the time people are stuck either entirely in their life or in one domain of their life or in one you know, couple hours of their day because they're not honoring one of these three fundamental principles. And again, these are going to seem really simple. Just like it's really simple to tell someone that they're going to be on hold for five minutes and then only keep them on hold for four. Look at all of the business that you do interactions with and look at how many missed opportunities there are for them to keep their promises or under-promise and over-deliver. You know the effect that has on you. It works. Yet most people don't do it. Why not? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. This is the most important thing. Listen to these principles through the following lens. How and where do I not embody this? How and where do I not embody this? Because I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to start hearing a voice in your head talking to you that's going to say, oh, I know all this stuff already. Well, I do that. Of course I do that. I do that all the time. And I want you to right now, in your mind and in your consciousness, create a little bit of a division between you and this part of you where you inject some healthy doubt space. That space between you and the voice that says, I know and embody all this already. Inject some healthy doubt space. Because if you really embodied all of this stuff, like it's possible to embody, you'd be in a thrival stage all of the time. And maybe you already are. I don't know. Some of you I know are not because I've had email communication with you and I get to actually experience you not embody this. So some of you I know for a fact. And that's fine because wherever you are in the five stages is totally fine. Is a 12-year-old better than a 9-year-old? What does that mean? It's just their stages of development. It's fine. But if you're not willing to look at ways in which you're not developed, then you get stuck. This is what uh, Peter Drucker called the Peter Principle, where you rise to a level of the highest level of incompetence. Okay, so for this to work, for this to really be meaningful for you, you have to be able to look at your own incompetence. And that's not necessarily comfortable. That's the theme here. The belief or the self-image that you are already a very highly competent person, however true that may be, will not serve you. It doesn't serve you. Competence comes from where you look at your incompetence. It's the same thing as the responsibility paradox. You become more responsible, not by telling yourself and congratulating yourself for how responsible you are, You don't become more competent for congratulating yourself uh, of how competent you are. You become more competent by looking squarely at what you suck at. Isn't this obvious? 
You don't get better reflecting on how great you are. I mean, that's certainly part of it. You know, you have to look at some of the good things. But ultimately, if you, when you're faced with what you're not good at, you look away, that becomes a limit. I mean, it's so obvious. And yet, look at our behavior. When your boss says, hey, I need to tell you something. I don't think you're aware of this. What happens? We get scared. We get anxious. We go, oh, crap. Something's wrong. When if you really embodied this idea, you'd say, oh boy, I get, to decide, I get to discover a blind spot about myself. Tell me where I'm incompetent because that's the only way I'm going to learn. I love discovering what I suck at. That's what your reaction would be if you embodied this. Crazy, right? Now that's not, it's, so it's easy to say, but it's way harder to do. But if you don't have someone in your life who reflects to you in a caring, honest, warm way what you're not good at, how are you going to grow? You're not going to grow in a direct maximum way. You're going to grow in a more incidental way. And you can change this very quickly just by asking your friends, your peers, your colleagues, your boss, your coach. Tell me what you think I suck at. Tell me what you think I'm in total denial of. I want to know. They have ideas. They just haven't been telling you. We all, we all know about each other. We see this. But there's an agreement. There's that concept again. There's an agreement that generally we don't talk about it. But if you really press someone and say, no, I really want to know. Ask your boss. What do you think I'm in total denial of? What do you think my blind spots are? What do you think I'm not even ready to hear? I want to know. You think your boss doesn't have something in the back of their mind about you where they're saying, I don't think they're ready to hear that. But one day, I guarantee you, they do. They do. And they're waiting for the right time to bring it to you. But your hunger to know that can bring that time sooner. Because a good manager does wait for the right time. But if you're hungry to want to know that about yourself, then that time can be shorter. And guess what? Your boss would love that. It's not fun having to hold on to an observation that would really help someone because you can't see that they're ready to hear it yet. That's not fun. It's work. And it's fine. It's part of the responsibility of a manager. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening and bye for now.